Thanks for joining us on the DDS Faith Podcast. Our prayer is that as we discuss what God has to teach us through His Word, we can all learn how to deepen, defend, and share our faith in Jesus Christ. get into all of this and we get into serious well i mean it's all going to be serious but there are two things i need to address mm. up front okay before we get into I'm, I'm sure it means nothing <laughs> it's okay Jeremy. go ahead you know i'm going to talk to steve there you go talk to steve okay say hello steve hi how you doing <laughs> first of all let's acknowledge and take a moment of silence for the passing of Bob Barker. And Skip. All right. And <laughs> it's very hey, sad. Hey. It was a month. Of, yes. Yeah. But, but a month since what? he's been on here. He's the only person that made it to n- closest to hundred without going over. <laughs> Thank you. you know? He yeah. texted me that, <laughs> and I and I thought he was ninety nine. <laughs> but like when was. Birthday. December the 12th. If he had lived to December the 12th, he would have been 100 years old. Get that um, mic closer to you. Yeah, you texted me that about he lived as close to 100 or that yeah. one over. And I read that thought, that's brilliant. That's hilarious. <laughs> and I actually thought he made that up until I started getting text and meme from other people <laughs> with the exact same quote. That's awesome. like, oh, okay. So he just Dude, stole it, that. From it, somebody. it popped up quick, too. So yeah. I don't know who came yeah. up with it, but they, they probably are a millionaire now. Okay. Right. They, so, all right. The second 20, thing we need to uh-huh. address because, you know, I said I introduced Steve in our first part on this. He was our loyal friend and true. Oh, yes. Okay. So I got a text message from our other loyal friend oh, good. and true, Andrew. <laughs> oh, I, don't, no. I don't know if he sent you the same thing or not, but it's a meme. Of the Muppets as different denominations. Oh yeah, I he, saw that. He sent yeah, you yeah, that, yeah. and so I want to address this because there's been this heresy. It's really rampant amongst Eli's generation because I've had this argument. Oh really? With people his age, um, but we all grew up watching Sesame Street, right? I mean, when I was like four. When you were, yeah, when you yeah. were Sesame that's what, Street. That's what I'm talking yeah. about. <laughs> Sesame Street. All right. So, all of those characters on Sesame Street Big Bird, Cookie Monster, Bert Oscar and Ernie, the Oscar the Grouch. That's my favorite animal. They're all Muppets. Yes. Thank you. Yes. But for some reason, there are people, like I said, it's mainly his generation, although there's a few in ours who think. Yeah, there's Muppet. They think that. The Sesame Street characters are not Muppets. Interesting. Jim Henson started them all, and the only one he could trademark was Kermit. Yes. Kermit used to be on Sesame Street. Yes. It used to be a regular. Yeah, I was going to say, I thought he was on Sesame Street. Mm -hmm. Yes. Um, Weird. But then there was this, you know, he went off and did the Muppet show. Yeah. So now they think, you know, the Muppets are Kermit and Fozzie and Animal. Uh Uh-huh. And Gonzo. Yeah. Those are Muppets. I pick them all, man. And, but I was like, no, the Sesame Street are Muppets. So it's Fraggle hmm. Rock. See, honestly. Fraggle Rock, thank you. But most of them don't know what Fraggle Rock is. You know, I mean, I blended them. I always thought they were, I, yes. I always thought they kind of meshed together. Because, and I'll point you to two resources 
Number one, and I, they might be on YouTube, is a Christmas special from the 80s called mm-hmm. The Muppet Family Christmas. And that is the Muppets and the Fraggles and the Sesame Street characters mm-hmm. all together. Mm-hmm. Then there is the movie, The Muppets Take Manhattan. Mm-hmm. And at the very end, you have Kermit and Miss Piggy getting married. And then in the church yeah. is Big Bird and yep. all the Sesame Street characters. So, the Sesame Street character, Elmo is a Muppet. Yes. <laughs> so, I would just like to put that out there. That way everybody knows. That way everybody knows, <clears throat> and it's been settled. You, you were clearing know. your throat. Have you learned Jeff something to today, Eli? I didn't know that, but the see, that's the only reason I didn't care at all. <laughs> <laughs> that's the point. I don't think anybody did. It that's wasn't. the point of useless trivia. <laughs> <It's>... <laughs> all right, so in part one, when we just begin our discussion, I referenced a sermon by David Jeremiah Yeah. called... Um, Depression happens to godly people. Mm-hmm. I think that's the title, and there's a link to that in the description of that. Definitely go watch that, that episode. Yes, that's highly recommended. He begins that sermon with some illustrations that I'm going to share, and I'm just going to read his introduction to that because that's going to be a great introduction for us as we have our discussion tonight. So he was saying back in 18. 18- 66, uh, Charles Spurgeon. Everybody knows Charles <laughs> Spurgeon. Mm-hmm. Knows of Charles Spurgeon. Right. Eli, who is Charles Spurgeon? Yeah, Charles Charles Spurgeon was kind of like a mid-19th century uh, American pastor slash preacher. Um, I've read several of his sermons. I've read some uh, biographies and, and such on him, and he's a, a really smart guy. He's, he's written a lot of commentaries and several books and stuff, so he was... Uh, He's in my top five people that I would love to sit down and have dinner with <laughs> if they were alive. Very so. well regarded, uh, almost revered American theologian. Theologian. Yeah, you will hear him quoted behind pulpits. Yeah, quite a bit. Yes. Yeah. So back in 1866, he was preaching in London's Metropolitan Tabernacle. Mm. He was doing a sermon from Isaiah 41, and this was his introduction, word for word. I have to speak today to myself, and while I shall be endeavoring to encourage those who are distressed and downhearted, I shall be preaching, I trust, to myself, for I need something which shall cheer my heart, why I cannot tell, wherefore I do not know, but I have a thorn in my flesh, a messenger of Satan to buffet me, my soul is cast down within me. I feel as if I would rather die than live. All that God has done by me seems to be forgotten, mm. and my spirit flags and my courage breaks down, and I need your prayers. So imagine you're sitting in the congregation, and Charles Spurgeon gets up and introduces his sermon yeah. like that. But imagine that, if your pastor yes. right now came up this coming Sunday... And said those very words. Yes. Most people would have drug him out of the pulpit. Well, another yeah. one is Martin Luther, who is, he's famous for being the one to reform, or what is it? He's, he's the Reformation. He's, yeah, he's, he's like the yeah. beast. He's the top he's, dog for yeah. the Reformation, yeah, which is... He stapled the 95 Theses on the uh, Church of Wittenberg. Stapled them? 
he put them on. Oh, he well, nailed, he nailed them. Nailed them. I was like, wow. <laughs> whatever. Okay. He, he nailed the 95 Theses on the uh, Church of Wittenberg, and um, that sparked the, the Reformation. And a cross. Which, okay, so yes. just to be clear what we're talking about, because uh, I know that people hear Reformed, and they're like, ah, Calvinism or whatever. And it's like, oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So oh, Reformation, man. we're talking about uh, uh, 1500s, where the Protestant church separated from the Catholics. Right. <laughs> so this is a good thing. So if, yeah. if you are, I, I do not Baptist. claim to be a Calvinist, yeah. nor does anybody here claim <laughs> to be <Amen>. Calvinist. <laughs> yeah, amen. If, if you were a Southern Baptist or a free will Baptist or any sort of Baptist, Methodist, Methodist, Presbyterian, whatever you came Pretty from much the Reformation, n- right. evangelical, yeah. non-Catholic, you are part of the Reformation. You're a result of it. Now there's a new Reformed theology that people are talking about. Uh, a lot in the Southern Baptists is what they'll have, but that's not what we're referring to right now. We're referring to the Protestant Reformation, Protestant Revolution, a few hundred years ago. And Protestant just means not, not a Catholic. Roman Catholic. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. yeah. They're protesting the uh, so Martin Roman Luther, Catholic Church. Yeah. Martin Luther, who's kind of the leader of that movement, was subject to such bouts of depression that he would just hide himself away from his family for days mm. and the family would remove all the sharp objects from the house wow. for fear that he would hurt himself and in the middle of one of these seasons Martin Luther wrote for more than a week I was as close to the gates of death and hell mm. as one can be I trembled in all my members Christ was wholly lost to me. Um, even the prophet Jeremiah, Jeremiah twenty fourteen, he says, "You know, cursed be the day I was born." Uh, Elijah, the prophet, <laughs> suffered from depression, and in First Kings nineteen four, he's he tells the Lord, "It is enough now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my fathers." I think it's interesting. Uh, there's a Christian author, J. Oswald Sanders, hmm. and he wrote this. It says, Speaking of Elijah and Moses, is it not without its comfort that the two men who conversed with the Lord on the Mount of Transfiguration hmm. both broke under the strain of their ministry and prayed that they might die? Hmm. So... And you know... A lot of people, I think, you would say, if your pastor is in that condition, he can't pastor. I, I disagree. I think, I mean, obviously Martin Luther and Charles Spurgeon, and then you name all these prophets that are in the Old Testament right. as well. Um, and there's just plenty of depression to go around. And I, I don't think that that's not a disqualification. Depression is not a disqualification of being a pastor. No, we talked a couple of weeks ago. Depression is not... A sin. No, it's not. Um, but one of the, you know, and I talked early on in we first started doing our our podcast here. I talked about how the whole COVID pandemic thing really exposed the underbelly mm. of the church. Yes, you mm-hmm. saw some real hard truths back yeah. then. Yeah. Um. On August the 31st of 2020, Tom Rayner, who used to work for Lifeway and does a lot of the mm-hmm. surveys and data gathering, he wrote this on August 31st of 2020. He said, 
Hear me clearly. The vast majority of pastors with whom our team communicates are saying they are considering quitting their churches. It is a trend I have not seen in my lifetime. Some are just a few weeks away from making an announcement. So, really quick, and there was a, you said vast majority. Vast. That doesn't mean 51% of pastors. No. Vast is like probably 60% at least and higher. And, and he said this in 2020, which yeah. the, when it was all at, at And a its, ton of them quit. At its height. They did. I mean, you can go on Google and pass, uh, Google pastors leaving ministry, mm-hmm. and there are tons of yes. articles. Uh, in this article that Tom Rayner was quoted in, they they talked to different pastors and was asking, you know, what's leading you to that decision? You know, and they were like, people's attitudes have split. Hey, you know, half the church is opposed to opening half the church is frustrated that it hasn't been open forever hmm. and um one pastor said he has become painfully aware that a lot of his people are more loyal to political parties and personal preferences than the ministry and mission mm-hmm. of the church um mm-hmm. and like i said covid was not the cause COVID was just the tool God used to expose exactly the issues that were already there. Yeah, right. I, I remember when that was happening, the the previ- previous church I went to, you know, I was watching it on Facebook because I was overseas at mm-hmm. the time, and the church had announced that they were not going to start having services. I immediately wrote them and said, do I understand this? I am concerned for our flock because right. of this. You know, are we going to be taking care of the people that are needed because of this? You know, are the deacons prepared for this? Is the staff prepared for this? You know, because this, this by shutting down the church, we're just saying, you know... Because the church is all of us. I, I right. agree with that, you know. But the actual building is where people can come together. Right. right. You know. And that you're right. COVID was the tool the devil used to open up Pandora's well, box, essentially. I think what you're seeing, um, because from the moment that a pastor accepts a call... Mm. To a church. Now I'm talking whether it's a uh, a pastor, a preacher, uh, student, youth, family, yeah. pastor, worship, music, mm-hmm. pastor, any of right, any pastor in the ministry. When they Word. are called to a church, from that moment they are battling a spiritual battle. Yep. Right. Um, because the last thing Satan wants you to do is be successful. Right in your ministry. Um, Real quick before you move on, um, you, you 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 had touched on something, and and I know I've heard people say this, like all those pastors that quit, you know, and it was just like, well, they just weren't called, you know. Some people may may be kind of ugly like that. It's like no, uh, I, I think these 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 a lot. Now some of them may not be called. 
but some I think others, you know, it, it, they just they cracked under the pressure, and it's difficult. Being a pastor is no simple feat. Uh, no. I mean, it is it is incredibly difficult, and I mean, there's a reason why. Uh, I mean, even before the pandemic, I mean, I remember seeing seeing statistics. It was almost like about half past fifty percent of pastors were. Uh, on or at least needed antidepressants, mm-hmm. and um, and a lot of people think, oh, it's because of all the sickness and stuff that you see, and it's like, no, it's it. A lot of times, it's it, it could be how your family is treated, how how you're expected to, um, you know, my my kids even are expected to act a certain way. They're expected to know certain answers because oh, they're the pastor, one of the pastor's kids. You in know, a lot of, that was a lot of pressure, and it was, yeah. it's 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 it, yes. they, they almost put you on a pedestal that you cannot uh, you you cannot sustain. I've said it is as close to being a celebrity, right, as <laughs> you're going to get, especially mm-hmm. if you're on the platform. Oh right? yeah, and people see your face. Mm-hmm. Then they're looking at everything that you they do. They see you out in public. Yep, and. You know, it's the nature of humanity. We put people on pedestals, and then we love to knock the pedestal out from under. We talked about with this with with John Christ. Uh, you mm-hmm. know, and it's like I, I was actually <laughs> I was talking to the one of the pastors at the current church that I'm going to, and and uh, I had talked to him about uh, on a, it was a Wednesday night, and uh, he was doing a little interview, and they asked him. Um, they said, uh, what, what's something that you've struggled with or, or whatever in your walk with Christ? And, uh, and I mean, he even said it. He said, well, I, I could give you a, a past thing that happened like in college, like a long time ago. But instead, I'm going to tell you something that I did this week mm-hmm. that I sinned. I'm like, you preach it, pastor. That's <laughs> right. I, I went up to him and I was just like, man, I want to encourage you so much because like, I mean, I've been reprimanded for admitting sin. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> at the church, and like, you, no, you can't, you can't put, you can't put pastors um, on that kind of pedestal because they need to be able to be human. Now, right. I'm not saying that they're. I mean, we are held to a higher standard. Well, yeah, uh, but we're still humans. Yeah. Like, it's still a thing, you know. We are human beings, and we will mess up. We exactly. will fall short of the expectations. We've talked about depression. Last week, you guys talked about anxiety. Um, so tonight, what I want the listener to take away, because I'm always thinking, like, what is the listener going to take away from this when we're finished, is, um, you know, we've talked about how mental health is an issue the church needs to address. Yes. Like, last week. Mm-hmm. And needs last a lot year. more education mm-hmm. yeah. and training and, mm-hmm. and things on. But also be aware of just the tremendous strain your pastors are yes. under, just f- from the the office they hold, uh, the work that they're trying to do, and um, that that takes a toll. Well, it, you know, like you were talking about with COVID, every decision you make is going to have a consequence right. and somebody's going to be mad about it. Right. And, um, I, I remember cause they were debating on, okay, let's do a live stream and you know, ha- let's have two services or whatever. No matter what the decision was, people were mad about it. Well, and that I, was, I had, a, I had a guy told me, he said, man, listen, you could throw a bunch of hundred dollar bills over here and everybody gets as much as they want and people would still complain about it. Like, well, and that, <laughs> that's true. Um, but that was a very, 
unprecedented circumstance. For sure. I mean, everybody, these were uncharted waters. Oh, definitely. We had no clue how to minister. Mm-hmm. You know, how do you have church when the building is closed? It's never happened in any of our lifetimes. No. And, you know, all of the efforts, you know, I remember we were putting things out on the church Facebook page, trying to get people engaged and to. You know, Still have that kind of sense of connection, even though we couldn't actually right. physically be in the building. Right. We could still participate through um, some things online. Yeah, you uh, did Zoom meets every single week. And your wife was the children's director yep. at the time. She, she did was stuff putting too. stuff out all the time. Um, but we just, it was like pulling teeth to get people to yeah. engage it was. in something. On a lighter but, note, I did find the church. Through, through the online okay. service. Okay, so, see? <laughs> um, but, yeah. And then, you know, churches like ours were struggling through that time. But then there are other churches. You know, I look at my home church in this little small town in mm-hmm. Virginia that just said, okay, well, people can't come to us, so we're going to go to them. So the ministries <laughs> that they were doing in the church, like they had a meal ministry. Right. Um, and usually it was like once a month or something – People could come in, and the church would prepare them a meal. Well, now the church was fixing meals and taking them to them mm-hmm. in the community, yeah. rather than just, well, we can't do that while COVID's going on. It's just like, okay, we're still going to do this, but let's be more proactive in getting it. So you had churches like that that were being proactive versus churches didn't want to do anything. Right. And I, I, that was just hard well, because was... we were being told, you got to do this, you got to do this, you got to do right. this. And you want to say, but nobody is participating. Right. But it's our fault. Yeah. <laughs> you need um, to get them to participate. And it was it's funny because people would complain about, you know, not not being able to participate in the way they wanted to participate. Um, and, you know, sometimes we got to we gotta shift how we worship God. Right. Th- things things got to get mixed up a little bit, you know, and, that, and that's okay. Well, how do you think the people that are worshiping in China or... Oh, yeah. All these talk, other talk about a different style of worship. Who can't, you know, <laughs> publicly meet. Yeah. yeah. Um, I, what I had wished we could have done for this episode, uh, we just didn't have time to pull it together, was talk to some of these pastors mm, and yeah. get some emails and things like share your story. Oh, that'd have been good. Well, it's it's important for people to hear to say, "Hey, this is this is real," you know, and this is it, it is a very because I am one of those pastors who left the church. Yeah, I am no longer doing vocational ministry, um, and it's a combination of the Lord pulled me in another direction, but at the same time, I was in a toxic right church environment where you need to heal. And my experience in that church has wounded me to the point of I have no desire to even go back into a ministry position. I had to go to a funeral service a couple of weeks ago and ran into a guy who used to play percussion for me when I led worship in Virginia. And he now works with Samaritan's Purse, Mm -hmm. works out of their Lynchburg office and so, and it's the first time I had seen him in, you know, a few years. So, you know, the question is, hey, what are you doing? Are you, he's like, are you still working at that church? And I was like, no. Well, what church are you working at? It's like, I'm actually out of ministry 
all together. So then that started a conversation and with his job, you know, he goes around to churches to do presentations for Samaritan's Purse and he says, you know, it's an epidemic in the church mm-hmm. right now. He says churches are struggling because pastors had, you know, there was this exodus of pastors out of the church. Yeah. And um, I'm like, so as we talk, just the listener, you know, take stock. Don't be, don't be the cause. Help of, take care of your pastors. Yeah, take care of the pastors. What I'm, it's what I'm saying. Instead of you know firing off an email or right an anonymous letter, you know, send some encouragement. You know, because uh, the man is doing the best job that he knows how to do in a hard uh, situation. Yeah. Um, you know, and I, well, I, I in ministry, him, it's not, it's not just a job. No, no. And know? that's what <laughs> I, that's where a lot of the, especially with, you know, the, the personnel committee that it gets treated mm-hmm. like it's just a regular job. And it's like, no, this is a calling right from God. Yeah. And, um, and you want to do good at it. Yes. Like you have the desire to do your absolute best. I never gave anything less than my best. Right. When so I in, in ministry. Ever. When you get called into a meeting and you get told for an hour that you suck at your job, how do you not take that personally? Right. You know? Right. And there's and this is pastors all over the country that I've I'd spoken to and you know it's the same it's the same story where they've got people that come into their office and just trash them right and and guys it it takes a toll and you know I'll just share a little bit about me um, really quick uh, I, I've never struggled with anxiety depression nothing none of it never never before in my life and you know for the first time uh, I. You know, I'd hear people talk about being anxious. Like, my wife would be anxious in the car or whatever, and I'm like, I don't understand. It just It doesn't register with me. You know, the Bible says don't worry, so just don't worry, you know. Be happy. <laughs> don't worry, be, be happy. happy. And um, I, I was always I'd just... i sing it, but we'd have to pay for the royalty. Yeah, I was always just kind of like that. Well, the more I got beat down, and the more I got... You know, why are you doing your ministry this way? And it's just very negative, 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 negative. Hardly any encouragement ever. Eventually, I started feeling anxious for the first time. Um, I remember people would come into my office and I would just... I, d- I couldn't explain it. It was just this oh, welling yeah. up inside of me. And I was like, what is this? And I was like, I don't know, I'm like, Katie, is this what you feel when, 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 you ha- when you're anxious? It's just like, yeah. I'm like, oh, my goodness. This is a terrible feeling. This is awful. And that was the first time I felt anxiety. And through that, I ended up becoming depressed and, and honestly so depressed. And I guarantee you no one in my ministry, including my wife, knew about this. But I was suicidal. Mm. I got so low. And I'd counseled people, and I had helped them with depression and whatnot. And I knew, I knew enough about counseling to know that I needed help. I knew when somebody needed to see a professional, but I knew that I wasn't going to talk about it at the time. I just couldn't do it. Um, and it was so difficult for it's difficult for me to even talk about it now and admit it. Um, and I've come a long way since then, but. 
I was so depressed. I remember I went to my doctor and I explained it to her. I said, listen, I'm not a professional counselor. I'm not licensed, but I've been around it enough. And I know for a fact that I need help. And I said, I really don't want to talk about it. I can't talk about it. I can't even, I couldn't even admit it to myself, guys. And I just said, I need antidepressants. Mm-hmm. And she put me on them. And I remember I went home and I, my plan was to hide it. I, there was no way I was going to tell my wife because I didn't want her to know. Um, because I felt like I was hurting my family by remaining in ministry because it was so difficult for them. It was so tough for them. And I was like, if I take my life, they'll be free. Yeah. And so will I. Mm. And that was my thought process. And it was the hardest thing. And I finally, I went to the bedroom to my wife. It was the same day that I got the antidepressants. And I, and I said, Katie, I need to tell you something, but you cannot, don't ask me a question about it. Just keep it to yourself, and hopefully one day I'll talk about it. And I said, I am on antidepressants. And this is this is a few years ago, two or three years ago, I guess. And um, I needed it because I was absolutely suicidal. I had thought about it. Um, Eli, um, you could attest to it. Uh, did, did it seem, uh, when I was in ministry, uh, this is kind of one of the things that we wanted to talk about. Um, because I was seriously suicidal. Like I, I had a, I had a plan to do it in a way where it could look like an accident to where my family would get the life insurance money and they would be taken care of. Well, that's how far like, advanced you. Yeah, I thought. really thought about this. So Eli, you were in ministry uh, in my youth ministry for three, four years. I was depressed for probably uh, two thirds of that easily. Yeah, uh, three quarters of that. What, what did you What did you observe in me? Uh, I would say that you looked pretty consistent the whole, I guess, three or four years that I was with you. Um, and what I mean by that is that you didn't seem any worse at the, uh, on the surface, you didn't seem any worse at the end than you did at the beginning. Um, now, there was obviously some changes in, like, um, uh, I guess your your passion seemed to grow a lot. Yeah. Um, like, you could, you could tell that you we're putting a lot into the, I guess, into the, the ball game. And I remember, uh, I guess it was maybe a, a high school retreat or some sort of retreat we were having at Bancroft. And yeah. that was when, when your your oldest son ended up getting uh, appendicitis. Appendicitis, mm-hmm. I can't think of the word. And, uh, and I, I remember that was one of the only times where I was like, I was like, he needs to just go home. <laughs> Like seriously, and uh, but other than that, like I, I could tell that there was a lot of circumstances crashing down on your family, but as far as you handling it on the surface, you seemed like you were fine. Yeah, but I, I could definitely see. You would have never guessed that was suicidal. Right, I, I could definitely see how. <laughs> I, I could see how times were difficult, but you seemed to handle it fine on the surface. Yeah, but I it, could see the reasons why you would right not well, be fine. Though. Well, in a lot of ways, I I did handle it. Well, and mm. part of it was I pushed it down. I lied to I would have these suicidal moments and then I would push it down as hard as I could. And I mean, I'd get on my knees and pray. I mean, literally just by and uh, anytime I get on my knees and pray, I make sure that I'm in a place where nobody's going to walk in on me because I don't want anybody to see me that way. Just like, you know, Jesus says, don't let, don't let them see yeah. you. Um, and, um, and I would, and I would just take this 
away from me, Lord. I'm so tired of it. I'm tired of hating myself. Uh, and it was just almost impossible for me to get rid of. Mm. Um, and eventually, you know, I left and I, I left my last, uh, vocational pastoral ministry position and I started to, I started to heal. Uh, I remember when you left, you know, and I'll just say the circumstances around that were just crappy, but I remember you saying there was this relief. Yeah. And I was mad because of the circumstances. <laughs> but he's like, I have never felt more peaceful. Oh, yeah. In my life. Mm-hmm. I, you know, I'm, I wasn't ever a minister, but I did work for a church. And I can understand where you were at because I had several people coming to me complaining and expecting more out of me you know and it it ended up being very taught with my condition it it went into overdrive yeah enough to where i myself had to get on the medications and you weren't yeah. ministering there and you i were... wasn't a minister right i just worked right there but apparently I had a hundred bosses, and I didn't yeah. know about this. Yeah. You know, <laughs> well, and I, I didn't sign up for that. I mean, I would go into work every day thinking this could be the day they decide I'm fired. But then, not only did I lose my job, I lost my house because right. I was staying in the parsonage. Right. So I mean, I'm walking into church. Just my whole insides are shaking. Oh yeah. From oh, every mo- time. From the moment I walk <laughs> in the door. Yeah. You know, and I used to be one. When I first started, I would go in, I would leave my door, my office door open. And at that, you know, the last few months I was coming in, I would tell the lady in the office, she knew I was here. Right. I would go into my office, shut the door. Yeah. And then just prayed mm-hmm. that they would leave me alone well, because to do my job. And, and this is what people need to understand. How you treat your pastor matters. Don't, don't treat him like, you're his boss and this is his job because that's not, that is not the relationship. No. Um, you know, encourage your pastor. And if you don't like what he's doing, go sit down and talk with him. Say, Hey, what, why did you do it this way? I think it should be done this way, you know, but then respect them. Uh, it's, it's, it's important to talk to our pastors and love on our pastors, which is why, you know, at, at this church that I'm at, um, I try to encourage the pastors as much as I can, you know, and right. when I get a chance, you know, and it's gotta be genuine. I, I won't just randomly go and encourage them, but like, I will come up with some genuinely compliment just to say, I really love what you're doing, you know, and, uh, they, they need that. I have had some people, um, who have, you know, and I think their intentions are, are good, but in the course of the conversation, they will um, make a comment about the guy that is now doing the music at the church I was at in Virginia. Yeah. Um, and he's different from me. <laughs> you know, not everybody's going to be me. But That's I always encourage, you know, he's, he's doing a good job. Yeah. No, he's not going to do it the way I did it. He doesn't need to do it. The way I did it, but that's who God has put there. Exactly, whoever's taking your place, endorse them. Right, I and, always do. And I feel like if you're 
if you haven't gone from one to the next and you haven't changed something or you've gone backwards, then the church is going to go backwards. There should always be grace. And that's what I pointed out in one conversation was, you know, I took us from A to B. Yeah. And he's been able to go from B to C because I couldn't do what exactly. he does and do it as well mm-hmm. as he does. Um, so, yeah, always be encouraged. And it is okay to have disagreements. Yep. It is okay um, to voice those disagreements. But let me tell you, the presentation matters. Right. Um, I will always remember, and I don't know, we may get canceled for this. But when I grew up, we watched The Cosby Show. That was the big popular <laughs> yes, show. Yes, it was a in the eighties. Yes, yes. And I always remember there was one show where one of the girls she gets engaged, and she shows up with her fiance at like a family dinner. Or something. And this is the first time the parents are meeting. Like, oh, not just your boyfriend; he's your fiance. So you know, there's awkward tension there through the whole episode. And finally, Bill Cosby pulls the guy in and sits him down at the kitchen table and says. You know, we have no problem with you. You are a nice young man. He's just the way that my daughter presented you to us was not good. Mm. He says, you know, think of a steak dinner, you know, and he de- he describes <laughs> oh, a steak this. dinner, you know, with a big, thick steak, sizzling steak and a baked potato with yeah. the butter. I mean, he's describing it in detail. Right. And then he says, now, imagine... That is presented to you on a garbage can lid. <laughs> How appetizing. The same steak the same, and everything. The same yeah. steak and everything. But instead mm-hmm. of a nice plate, it's presented to you on a trash can lid. Yeah. And he said, that is how my daughter brought you in to our house. <laughs> um, so if you're going to go to a pastor with a disagreement or a difference of opinion, your presentation matters. Absolutely. The way you present yourself. Yeah. So in, in Acts 7, Stephen, newly appointed deacon in the early church. Not you. Yeah. Uh, is, <laughs> My uh, namesake. Yeah. <laughs> that's where he got it from. Is, uh, he, just, he, gets done, he gets done giving a really lengthy defense to the Sanhedrin. He, he basically summarizes everything from Joseph and late Genesis all the way through Israel being released from uh, Egypt. Um, and this is how his story ends. So... Uh, Acts 7, starting at verse 59, I'll go into chapter 8 a little bit. And they went on stoning Stephen as he was calling out and saying, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. And falling on his knees, he cried out with a loud voice, Lord, do not hold this sin against them. And having said this, he fell asleep. And earlier I was checking some other translations on my phone, um, and they all pretty much used fell asleep. So I'm thinking like, well, maybe he hasn't died yet. And then you go down to verse 2 of chapter 8. And some devout men buried Stephen and made loud lamentation over him. Mm. So this guy is appointed as one of the seven deacons um, by, the, by the congregation, by the apostles. It's interesting that he gives this huge, full Bible-length chapter uh, defense to the Sanhedrin, the Sanhedrin, and they just kill him. Like they, mm. they just stone him and kill him. He dies, and that's the last time you hear people are quick to complain about how when things start changing, especially when it's the hymns or um, they're quick to throw stones at things they don't like. Yeah, and I guess we should be grateful for an anonymous letter and not a brick 
thrown. Yeah, that's true. Well, it's like, <laughs> I mean, look, I mean, he literally within he's he's this beautiful defense that walks through Genesis mm-hmm. and Exodus, basically. Right. Yeah. And within three verses of the Bible, he's dead. He's dead. And that's it. And um, there's another piece of scripture I was reminded of, and this is kind of talking about how we should care about others' well-being and, and check in on them. In mm-hmm. uh, Philippians 2, uh, verse 19, Paul's writing from prison, so he's probably listening to other people be beaten and tortured, and he's probably hadn't had food, and he's probably miserable. He probably feels awful. He's here pinning what we label as a four-chapter epistle. So just understanding the circumstances will help you appreciate these words. What are you reading from again? Uh, Philippians 2, okay. uh, starting in verse 19, and knowing his circumstances will help you appreciate this a lot more. Um, so he says to Phil, the church of Philippi, But I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you shortly, so that I also may be in good spirits when I learn of your circumstances. For I, I have no one else of kindred spirit who will genuinely be concerned about your circumstances. Huh. For they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. Um, and that's... That's kind of the idea there that I want to get across. That is a that is heart. You know, you see that in the modern church a lot. Mm-hmm. More people are there to show their face, just so they can. One of the things I'm, I'm I'm the, you know, my family started this church. You know, my family's been going here since since I was born and baptized and married in this church. You well, know, and, I mean that's. That doesn't mean anything to me, you know? Right, right. That doesn't tell me this is the best church in the world. And and think, the reason why I kind of laid out Paul's position as he's writing this is because he's sitting in this in this prison, and he's worried about the Church of Philippi's well-being enough to where he's trying to send Timothy there. And he also says later on in the chapter, uh, I'm not going to find it, but he, wants, he also wants to come see them. Once, and he mentions his own well-being and things like that. But he says, uh, the only person that will care about them or genuinely be concerned about their circumstances is Timothy. That's who he wants to send. And why do no, nobody else care about their circumstances? Well, that, that's answered in verse 21. It's because they all seek after their own interests and not those of Christ Jesus. And, and that I'm willing to just rest my case. On yeah, that. well, honestly, I mean, um, one of the things that, that I, I've said in every church that I've been in, you know, every everywhere I go, it's it's either a complaint of there's too many hymns or there's too much contemporary. Those are the those are the main things that that complaints that I hear, and it's like hold on, we're not here to worship you and your preferences. <laughs> we are here to worship God, and if we worship God with hymns, then we worship God with hymns. If we worship Him with uh, contemporary, we worship Him with contemporary. And if the worship pastor is led to go a little contemporary or a little old school. Right, as know? long as he's theologically sound. Yeah. I'm good. You know? Yeah. And Let him do it. Let him do his job. Exactly. Okay. And praise him for the cuz it, it's it is the you guys have the hardest job in the world. I've always said that. Matter of fact, when I first met Wes, you know, I introduced him to my wife and I was like, this is this is the youth pastor, you know? This is the one man we've got to defend the most in this church, you know? Because that is the hardest position I've ever been in. Well, and they're also, 
in a lot of churches not viewed as like actual elders. Exactly. And that, well, one, that's just not biblical at all. We talked about that in our series when Mm -hmm. we had Tim on. Yeah. Yeah. I think a a, a practical implication to get out of uh, Philippians 2 there is, one, it's obvious that you're supposed to be out for the interests of Christ Jesus. Yes. To think about the church. And I've seen, you know, Francis Chan uh, has a video out there where he's talking about how people always wonder what their spiritual gifts are. And he's like, well, if you'd come in here and stop thinking about yourself, you'd know what your spiritual gifts are. <laughs> oh, I love Francis Chan. He's yeah. so awesome. That's awesome. And, uh, he so it's just true. So if you want to yeah. start thinking about the interests of Christ Jesus, you have to <laughs> stop seeking after your own interests. Yep. And, uh, Which actually, is hard that, to do. That reminds me of another. Because, well, what do we do while you're looking, while you're looking that up? How, how do most people look for a church? They go to a church and they say, what's in it for me? Okay, do they have a nursery to watch my kids? Do they have um, do they have a singles ministry for me? Are they doing the right music? Are they doing the right pastor? Are they doing this right? You know, is the color of the carpet right? You know, I was, I was actually talking to my mom. Oh, my um, gosh, the color uh, of the carpet. A few days ago. You, know, that, you would think that's a joke. Eli probably hears that and thinks that's a joke. It's, I, it's my, a, the church that I've been my... been business meetings and that's a... Yeah. Crazy thing. My church, my, my grandfather, the church that he pastored at, their church split over the color of the carpet. There's a church across the street as a split from that church because of the color of the carpet. Are you are you kidding me? And again, it's what's in it for me. And I love what you said about what uh, with uh, with Francis Chan. That's, yeah. that's excellent. To, yeah, so just to start thinking about the interests of Christ Jesus, you have to to start, uh, well, to, to not focus on the interests of yourself, which is requires humility and <laughs> renewal day by day, which is what I was about to read. Uh, so 2 Corinthians 4, 17. For our momentary light affliction is working out for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. And here's the, the practicality. While we look not at the things which are seen... But if the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. And so read that text in light of Philippians 2, what we just read. Paul's sitting in prison, and he's obviously not thinking much about his seen temporal circumstances if he's focused on the church of Philippi and their well-being enough to send somebody that cares about them and also himself go whenever he can, whenever he's freed. So we have to, to focus on eternal things that are not seen instead of the things which are seen here. And sorry, one more, which they keep popping in my head. Um, <laughs> Romans 8, uh, 24. For in hope we were saved, but hope that is seen is not hope. For who hopes for what he already sees? But if we hope for what we do not see with perseverance, we eagerly wait for it. And then and I might as well keep going. In the same way, the Spirit also helps in our weakness, for we do not know how to pray as we should. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. I rest my case. <laughs> <laughs> you know, the one the one thing that I take from that, each, each of those scriptures that, that you just mentioned, and, and everything that we've talked about so far tonight, and, and really just, if you want to grow as a Christian... Examine humility mm. because there is so much pride in the individuals in our churches, including our pastors, myself. 
uh, you know, I'm actually going through something right now that we were discussing off camera. Uh, it's 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 taking a lot of humility for me to do. I mean, it's it's very difficult. I've reached the point now where I was like you. I just would not say anything. I would internalize it. Right. And um, just, hey, I'm, I'm fine. How are you? Mm-hmm. Um, and now I'm to the point to where I am so broken and I am so beat down. I don't care anymore. It's almost easier to be humbled. <laughs> I, I don't care you, We've been humbled. Like, how are you? I am a wreck. That's yeah. how I am. And, you know, I think if individuals in the church would, you know, again, seek after Christ, humble themselves. When we're in the church for ourselves and our things, and how does this affect me? That's the center of pride. Mm -hmm. That's the center of pride. Well, back in Philippians 2, it literally says that they did not care about their afflictions, uh, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, because... They were focused on themselves, and that right. If you're focused on your health, yourself, that is the opposite of humility. Mm-hmm. Like that is the opposite of the definition of humility. And so the reason I even read that is because you have to think about others. You have if you're if you have the mindset of Christ Jesus, you also have the mindset of His church and His people that He has established. Just like we see Paul having, and you can see Paul sets that example in so many other places in Scripture, as well as Christ Himself. And so, one, in, in the Second Corinthians uh, 4 there at the, at the end, uh, I, think it's, I think it's like 16 through 18 or something like that. One, if you're a pastor, and I don't, I'm not a pastor, so I don't really understand that. Uh, I don't want to say yet. But, <laughs> I but, almost uh, said yeah. yet. <laughs> um, but, one, take, take that scripture to heart because it's so easy to read that. But, you know, every two adjectives, light, momentary affliction. So even the thorn in the flesh with Paul, I remember last time I said that his thorn was eventually gone. Mm-hmm. He, he died. Right. Like, and that, that's kind of what I was trying to get at. And I, I did a horrible job of explaining that. But <laughs> the, like, no. you have a light momentary affliction. Paul suffered miserably. Yeah. He, <laughs> and, he, uh, he was tortured for several years. Yes. Yes. Yeah. I'll give you that. So, yeah. And it, it, in, in that Second Corinthians 4, it says light momentary affliction. And then it goes right into it producing an eternal weight of glory. So mm. if you're a pastor that, that's struggling with that or anybody for, for that matter and you're experiencing that light uh, momentary affliction, it tells you how to handle that, seeking the things which are not seen, which are eternal, and not you know focusing on the things which are seen, which are temporary. Same thing in Romans 8, uh, whatever that verse was, and yeah, countless other pieces of Scripture. So that's for the pastor. Now for, for the person that needs to do better about encouraging their pastor or encouraging any brother and sister uh, in Christ for that matter, then stop focusing on yourself. And I don't, I don't mean that. in like uh, you, I'm not rebuking you. I, I'm because tr- I know what it's like to only focus on yourself. <laughs> like there's so many people that I could be messaging and texting and meeting up with every day uh, that I don't. So everybody, every the, the humblest person on the earth still thinks about themselves a lot. Oh yeah. That's just our nature. So we just need to, to, to make war on that sin and and put that uh, fleshly deed of pride to death, and so that that would be my encourage, encouragement to the congregation member is to encourage your pastors and think about your congregation 
more than you think about yourself. Think about the purposes of Christ and and not your own purposes. I mean, just just look at it. pastors are the only people that can cry and smile and laugh and yell all in a five minute period. You know, <laughs> because they literally see the best, the worst. And the most horrible things in this world, you know, some, I mean, the ones that are going to jail houses, the ones that are going all over, you know, to, to do what Jesus said, told us to do. And he didn't just tell the ministers or the elders to do that. He told each and every one of us to go out into the world and bring mm-hmm. it. It's, it's not the pastor's job, you know, he's got a way bigger job than we give them credit for, you know? Mm-hmm. And they work other days than Sundays, by the way. And Wednesday. Oh, yeah. yeah. When he was talking about, you know, pastors who cry and laugh and yell all within that time frame, um, that's what I was thinking because there was a time, um, you know, I was reprimanded because I wasn't visible during the pastor's sermon. They're like, are you even in the sanctuary while he's preaching? And what had happened, um, which I did not share with them in this meeting, but I had reached a point to where while I'm standing on the stage leading worship, looking out over the congregation, I'm replaying conversations and comments and emails it's difficult to worship that yeah either i've received or i know he's received or just different the associate pastor even the ladies in the office and my heart was broken for this body that when i finished the last song and the pastor was coming on the stage and I was exiting, I would go sit in the choir room and I would cry for a good 10, 15 minutes and then have to collect myself, you know, and put on the church face because yeah. I had to go back out and sing just as I am <clears throat> so the pastor could stand at the altar for the invitation. Um, but people were more worried about why I wasn't sitting down front so people could look at the back of my head while the pastor was preaching. And, you know, when we talk, I had mentioned something about me and my uh, depression and stuff and how Eli was uh, relatively close to me at the time, not, not near as what we are now. Um, but he had no idea. Mm-hmm. You and I were much closer than he, than me and Eli were. And I had no idea. I knew you went to the choir room, right? But, you know, I just thought you just needed a moment to yourself, which I understood. I did. But I had no idea that you were in the sake of where you were just bawling your eyes out. Yeah. Um, You know, I think that's really powerful. And I think, you know, guys, when you see when you see your pastor do something, maybe it's a little left field, maybe a little weird. Um and don't make the first thing you do attack them 
and say, you shouldn't be doing this. How about go talk to him and say, you know, hey, man, is, is everything okay? Is there anything that I can do for you? And, and try to, you know, help them through that. Encourage them through whatever they're going through. Because, guys, you're, you're pastors. This is, for the, this is for the listener. I don't care what church you're in. I don't care how happy your pastor looks. He's struggling. Yep. Mm-hmm. He is struggling. Pray for your pastor. Encourage your pastor. If you're gonna, if you're gonna say something, if you need to say something that's that's ugly, or if it's something that's, um, you know, criticizing how he preaches or whatever, number one, don't do it on Sunday. Um, do, do it, do it. Meet with the pastor another time. Try to give a compliment sandwich as well. You know, like you were talking about the presentation earlier. I love the, the Bill Cosby thing where, you know, steak dinner, you know, on this beautiful plate or whatever, you know, and you do that same steak dinner on a trash can lid. And it's just like, okay, I, I feel yeah. terrible now, you know. Um, how we present things to our pastors matter. And, you know, if you're upset, I understand. But take a minute and say, okay, maybe there's something that I don't know. But when we go in and somebody does something that we don't like and we immediately condemn them for it, essentially, you better check your heart because it may be that, I mean, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the height of your arrogance. That's the height of my arrogance that I've done before, where I've just jumped to a conclusion and said, that's what they're doing. And, and they're a sinner for it. And, you know, I, and I hit him about that. Mm. Um, guys, we need to humble ourselves, stop attacking and, and start praying and, and, and talk to him through it if you can. Well, and let me share. This was a, a lesson that I learned. Um, you do need to establish boundaries. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of pastors feel like, and a lot of churches have the expectation that the pastor is at their beck and call 24-7. And they can drop in whenever they want, say whatever they want. You know, I remember uh, I got a fan letter. And... <laughs> That, that's a letter that was derogatory towards you. <laughs> like, just to oh, be clear, it, it what was, a fan letter was. It was a handwritten, <laughs> unsigned letter just telling me how horrible of a worship pastor that I was. Right. All right. So I stood there, and I read it in the office, and then proceeded to tear it up and throw it away. And I told the ladies in the office, I said, I'm not reading any more of those. I said, anything else that comes in here... Uh, that's not a bill from a music publisher mm. or uh, anything that comes in that looks like personal mail. I said, you open it and you read it first. I did the same thing. I had to start filtering my mail because I remember I, I had gotten a, a fan letter. And it's funny because I've got a very thick skin. Your skin is a lot thicker than Very mine. thick. Yeah. And that. I'll never forget that yeah, letter. That, it those got cut. it hit me hard. It yeah. hurt so bad. I mean, I laughed about it because one of the lines in that one was, <laughs> "Why didn't I just go on TBN 
and where I could sing loud like everybody else there. And I thought, oh, well, at least this person thinks that I'm good enough to sing on TV. <laughs> so, but still, in you know, it still hurt. It still hurt. Don't do that it, to your pastor. Don't do it to your pastor ever. Yeah. <clears throat> uh, but establish boundaries. Like what people don't realize, and you know, what the congregation needs to realize is that access to your pastor is not your God-given right. Mm. Um, that's something I've had to establish personally myself within the last year or so, is like access to me is a privilege. Um, I got an email. And that's not arrogance. That's You're talking not arrogance. about boundaries. I'm talking about like, boundaries. Who you yeah. allow yourself to come into contact with. Right. Um, because there was a lot of just negative and I'm like, why am I allowing this? Like, no, here's what people don't understand. And this is why this is so important. I really hope you're, you're listening. Uh, the listener, please, please, please listen to this. Uh, but taking care when a pastor leaves a church, he's gone. And a lot of people don't say a word to him and never speak to him again. And especially if they go in, out on, on bad terms. They're often never spoken to by most of that congregation ever again. How heartbreaking for that pastor because I know that I've left churches on bad terms, unfortunately. I wish I hadn't, but I had. I have. <laughs> and it is so heartbreaking to pour your life, heart, soul, and everything into those people. You pray so hard for them, and then you're gone, and they never say a word to you ever again. It is heartbreaking, and it, and it hurts men the mental health of your pastors. Very They're much. people that, too, guys. I, that's a hard lesson I learned at the first church I was at when I graduated college, and... Um, you know, you go in and you think, these are friends that I'm going to have for the rest of my life. Right. It sure feels that way. And you leave the church. And like I said, I hadn't heard from this individual in six or seven years. Yeah. Um, and the last church, there were people there, you know, I thought, I'm going to have this, these people in my life for the rest of my life. And what really hurts is you know revisionist history now is starting to take place and individuals that we would have considered friends are now painting us as villains mm. and it's like man which is one reason um and i've talked to you about this it's just very hard for me to even come into this town right anymore it just it still really hurts yeah uh, it dredges up all of that hurt. Um, there was there was an event that we were both invited to, and I was very torn about going because I knew it was going to trigger every mm -hmm. every hurt, every disappointment from the last two and a half years. Yeah, if I went to this event. It was going to trigger all of that. And I agonized over that, even up to the day before the event. I, I this wasn't a church event. This, this, was, was, not, this was not a church event, yeah, but it was an event it was, where there were going to be people right. 
from that church there who I knew would say, hey, it's really good to see you, knowing they have talked about me and you like dogs. And they haven't talked, they haven't said anything. Right. You know. and, but even the day before, I was texting you going, should I just go? Right. What? Um, but it was like, no, because I knew it was going to. Now, what, what hurts is, you know, I think there's some relationships there that have been severed. Right. Because I did not show up to this event. And that is very sad, but that was almost self-preservation for me. Right. You know, I knew I didn't need to be in that mm -hmm. environment. Um, and that is so hard for pastors to do. Like I said, I've had to learn this at two different churches, but when you're gone, you're gone. Yeah. And the people that you have poured and invested your life into... Um, they're still going to be at that church, right? Uh, it's like, hey, nice to see you, and um, it it breaks your heart. There's so many youth that I've poured into over the years, and um, you know, there's a, there's a few that you know they'll, they'll keep up, and and I keep in touch with some of them, and uh, you know, as 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 much as I can, right? Um, I'm not necessarily going to go and pursue that myself. Because, you know, another reason, I just went off of all social media. Yeah. You're not going to find me on Facebook. I'm not on Instagram. I'm not on anything. Because people can also use that as glorified, um, kind of like, oh, what's Jeremy doing? No, I don't want to talk to him on the phone. But let me just pull up his Facebook page and mm -hmm. see what he's doing. See what he's doing, yeah. Um, it's more like, let me find a place to go. Uh, Find information to gossip about. Yeah. So I just set a love on this person. Right. And, and also for me, it's too tempting for me to pull up profiles of <laughs> people like, oh, I wonder how so and so is. Right. Doing. You do the same thing. You yeah. Know? <laughs> we all do yeah. it. <laughs> um, so I just went off of it. And it's like, you know, right now, what I'm, the, what I'm working on right now is just, you know, putting things, it's in the past. Mm hmm. Um, that's why I wanted to move, you know, you moved into this apartment. You're like, Hey, come check this out. This is where we're going. And I was like, I want to go home. <laughs> I, I just, it was just too painful for me to even be in yeah. because I, I don't know if I've said this on the podcast. I don't have said this in private conversations, but it's just got to where, um, you know, I would be working, you know, down in North Carolina and coming back into town, or if I was like in Morristown, if I, I'm working out of town, coming back into town, I would be wondering, why am I staying here? Right. Like, for me, this just became a very cold place. Like, I could not, I almost say I could not feel the love of God in mm. this place, other than your family. Yeah. Um, so it's like, I, I just want to go home, be closer to my family. Uh, I need to heal in some in some places, but it's still hard because you know I, I've told you before coming down here just triggers a lot of that for me still. Yeah, you know I'm working through that right now, and um, what I'm trying to do is just you know it's in the past. Um, doesn't mean I don't care about those people anymore because I really do, um, but. There's well, scars yeah. take the longest to heal. Yes, they do. Yeah. And yeah. sometimes you you have the scar for the rest of your life. 
yeah and i think uh you know being being pushed away like you guys were and uh treated like that but still caring about their own like uh, salvation and, and and spiritual growth and stuff yeah is a really godly trait and, and you see that in a uh, at the beginning of Romans 9 when you know Paul says uh, I'm telling the truth in Christ I'm not lying my conscience testifies with me in the Holy Spirit that I have great sorrow and unceasing grief in my heart mm-hmm. unceasing grief so this grief is not leaving him for I could wish that I myself were accursed, separated from Christ for the sake of my brothers, my kinsmen according to the flesh. So he's talking about his fellow Israelites that are his brothers, just like you two have both had brothers and sisters that supposedly were, but yet um, who were Israelites, who belong to the adoption of sons and the glory and the covenants and the giving of the law and the temple service, da 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 And then you go over to chapter... Is that version say da 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 No, that's not, <laughs> that's not inerrant, but... Okay. Uh, then you go to the end of chapter 9. But as for Israel, so these same Israelites that are his brothers and his kinsmen according to the flesh, that he has great sorrow yeah. over their salvation and would rather him be accursed for that. This is how he describes Israel's current situation. But as for Israel, he, uh, the Lord says, All day long I have stretched out my hands to a disobedient and obstinate people. So his hand is still stretched forth. And yet they are disobedient and obstinate. And am I pronouncing that right? Yes. And and Paul would rather be accursed for the sake of his brothers. For these obstinate people. For these obstinate people exactly. that are totally rejection of not Paul, not only Paul, but God. So think about the rejection that you know any pastor may feel and think about the rejection God feels like mm. yeah. all the time. Infinite. Infinite. I mean, there's people that blaspheme and curse his name from the dawn of creation hmm. until the end of the world. That's Thou- actually millions and billions of people. I like that's an incredible way to look like look at that. Mm-hmm. I, I like how you yeah. explain that because you're talking about the rejection that we've been talking about of pastors and whatnot, right. and you just you just compared it to God, you know, mm. and, and you know, uh, it's a Ephesians end of Ephesians four. He says. Um, forgive how God in Christ forgave you. Mm-hmm. Obstinate generation. The people that reject him all the time, he goes after him and pursues and pursues mm-hmm. and pursues. And we should do the same. We, exactly. And if you look in Acts, uh, read through, been reading through Acts if you can't tell. And uh, it's, it's, I've loved it. It's, it's been so good. And at the end of chapter five, I actually sent this to you this morning, I think, like right as I, as I woke up this morning. Um, so they went on from the presence of the Sanhedrin to so the, the apostles, rejoicing that they had been considered mm. worthy to suffer <laughs> for the name. So we're talking about Christ. And this is the, the thing that gets me here. This is really cool. And you guys relate to this because you stayed way longer than you had to. And you came back <laughs> and, <laughs> and stayed way longer than you had to. And And you guys weren't necessarily dealing with the Sanhedrin, but... Uh, personnel committee, same thing. Personnel committee, Sanhedrin, and uh, and here's what the apostles continue doing, and I, I see this in both of you and you for that matter. No, thank you. No problem. <laughs> and now you're, wait, uh, you're saying you see the Sanhedrin in us, or, or Paul, or Paul? Else, right? Okay, this, good. This okay, good. I just wanted to make sure because I was about to cut you. And there's there's so many other. I mean, seriously, you I'm guys both stay. All three of you stayed way longer than you had to, and so after the apostles. Um, left the presence of Saint, the Sanhedrin. They were rejoicing, and they had been considered worth, worthy to suffer shame for the name, so the, the name of Christ. 
And every day in the temple and from house to house, they did not cease teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. So despite being worthy to suffer for Christ, they continued without stopping teaching and proclaiming. Well, they were the rejoicing. Mm-hmm. They were like, hey, guys, we, we, we just yeah. we just suffered for Christ. Like, heck yeah, man, we're, yeah, we're that cool. I, I kind of wanted to debunk, to debunk a, a common myth out there that's like, well, if Christianity's wrong, I haven't lost anything because I was just wrong and I'm going to die and be nothing. If you're wrong, you're going to hell. Well, it's like, well, <laughs> honestly... <laughs> With that attitude, I had that same motto four years ago because I was just trying to make a good argument for Christianity. But now it's like, you know, I really, I would, I would rather not be wrong on this because it's not fun. Yeah. <laughs> it's not fun sometimes. Yeah. And so if you if you're living a, a Christian life where it's like, well, I'm not going to lose anything if I die, I mean, I'm wrong. It's like, well, no. If you're a follower of Christ, you should be losing a lot. Uh, count the cost. Right. Yeah. Like you, this is not no. I didn't make a ch- a choice just to be like. Oh well, this is just I'm insured. If Jesus yeah. is real, then I'm going to heaven. I'm I have that insurance. Right. It's like no, this would be something that you're willing to die for, right? To live as Christ and to die as gain. That's all, back in Philippians yeah. that we read earlier. Well, well, Paul talk Paul talks about it, and then and so does so does Jesus. You know, he talks about um, you know, who who just starts building a building? No, they they figure out okay, how much is the lumber going to cost? How much is this going to cost? What's going to you know? It's the it's same thing. With your walk with Christ, mm-hmm. you better count the cost, and that yep. cost is oftentimes suffering, and like you're talking the, about. One of the most conv- convincing things for me in, re- in re- regard to the inspiration of the New Testament, or just the re- reliability of Christ, um, and you can get into like all the dating and, and the authorship and stuff like that, but like think about all the apostles, and including the Gospels. If they weren't confident without a shadow of a doubt that Christ, what, mm-hmm. what Jesus was the Christ— then they would not have been willing to have been martyred. Well, they would not have put their lives in the just, line like they just did. Because. Be like, like, I, just kidding. Yeah. yeah. Like, no, just, they knew, and they carried that till death. Mm-hmm. That's how confident there they is, were. So, so this is actually one of the one of the proofs of the res- resurrection uh, is the fact that, number one, the disciples went from believing to not only doubting, but they all fell away like Jesus told you know, if they were, if they just stayed the whole time, if they, if they never had that part where they kind of just doubted and like, what do we do now, guys? And they start hiding and whatnot. You know, it, it would have been like, well, they were just fanatics. They were just nuts. You know, it's like, no, they really believed this. Mm-hmm. They one hundred percent believed that Jesus died and rose again, and they saw him. Uh, Not only did they believe it enough to stand for it in front of people who were persecuting them, but they documented it. <laughs> yep. And passed it down through generations. Yep. Well, Incredible. Well, God did. But In many did. different so. languages. Yep. That, that's how confident they were. Yeah. So I'll also be confident. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know, I, I think this is a... There's a lot of fantastic stuff in here. And, you know, I think we as believers need to make sure that we are constantly humbling ourselves. You know, uh, in in the very beginning of, I mean, for I, the way I grew up, I used I used to be very arrogant. You know, you could prove me wrong, and I would still hold hold my ground. You know, mm-hmm. I, I remember I used to be that way. Uh, I got into college, and I wised up. You know, and and stopped doing that so much. But then, there's going to be other areas in your life that you find that you have pride, and. Um, 
I think we all need to examine ourselves very, very, very deeply because we need to make these changes. There's it's just the whole purpose of us serving God and giving glory to Him. Our whole purpose is for Him. It's not our story. It's His story. You know? And we need to start living like it's His story. Thanks for listening. For more information on DDS Faith Ministries, please visit our website at ddsfaith.org and follow us on social media, Facebook, Instagram, and YouTube.